But I would like to focus our attention tonight, if I could, uh, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And uh, you can remain seated. Thank you for standing uh, tonight. I just want to talk to you a little bit. I'd like to read uh, verse 31 uh, through, let's just read 31 through 33 to read through the end of the chapter, if that's all right. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 31. I'm going to kind of go back through this chapter again, but I want to help somebody. My desire um, as a pastor, this is going to probably sound counterproductive, but understand my heart, has never been to just build a crowd. Now, I, I want us to grow. I want us to expand. I want us to be at full capacity. There's nothing like preaching to a full church. But I want to tell you my goal is not to build a crowd. And to be quite honest with you, if I wanted to build a crowd, there's an easier way of doing it than to stand on the word. Um, you can honestly uh, build a crowd with a few good um, self-help book ideas and uh, a good coffee shop, pretty good bagel. Sit down in the sanctuary, have your bagel and coffee. Let me get you emotionally connected. And you can go home and say you've been to church for the week. Um, I don't really care as much about building a crowd as I do building character in people and making them disciples. Jesus did not say go into all the world and baptize them and build churches. He said go into all the world and make disciples. And so while this is part of the plan, I believe um, God has expanded our territory. Uh, the North American church is very, very blessed. Uh, I've traveled all over the world. And very rarely do I ever uh, go overseas and preach in buildings like we're blessed to worship in every single week. Amen. I've preached in uh, places where it's open air and it's so hot you can hardly breathe. And you got to preach anyway. And the, the pitiful sound system they got, if they have one, goes out and you're just giving it all you've got. We're very, very blessed. But I want to tell you what happens. If we're not careful, we get caught up in the culture of being church dwellers, church goers. And you've heard me talk so often about the subculture of Pentecost that we have. And there is, there is I believe, um, there is a serious problem that we have to deal with on a regular basis in our flesh. And that is getting comfortable with being comfortable. And we need God to shake us from time to time to let us carry a few burdens, if you would. Uh, I'm thankful for what we have here tonight. I'm thankful for all of you precious people that have gathered here together tonight. But I guess the question is, what kind of walk with God do we have? If you take all of this skeleton, all of this framework, all of this that we have in this building, and if the doors are padlocked tomorrow and this all goes away, what do you have left? And to be quite honest with you, that's really the only kind of Christian you are. And so uh, this is going to sound strong, and I don't want to get started off on the wrong foot, but that's why I have a problem with people telling me they want to go deeper, but they're not even faithful when the doors are open. Because if you can't be faithful while we can, 
you sure won't be faithful when they say we can't. Amen. Amen. And so I, I, I want God to help us. Um, as a movement, we're guilty of using words often like revival. Everybody say revival. revival. Does anybody even really know what that means? What does it mean when we say we're going to have revival? Does that mean we're all going to get happy? Does it mean we're going to dance and shout a little bit? Um, man, I, this, is, this probably feels a little negative right here. I don't mean it to. Um, you talk with your friends. How was your weekend? Man, we had a move of God. What's, like, what, what happened? Oh, we danced and shouted. Choir was good. Was that a move of God or was it just good church? And I'm not, I'm not trying to play with semantics here. I'm saying there's got to be something deeper that draws us to a relationship with God that goes beyond Sunday and Wednesday. And so tonight, I'm going to do my best to teach to you um, what I feel very impressed of the Holy Ghost to teach to you. And I'm going to um, draw our text this evening from the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and uh, verse 31. Uh, this will make sense more in just a moment. This is the chapter where the 12 men are chosen as spies to go into the land of Israel to spy out the land. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. They are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. Somebody say evil. evil. An evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it. And this is, this is very important right here. Is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. It is a land, uh, another translation, and I'll teach more on this in a few moments, but another translation said it is a land that consumes you. It's a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. It consumes the people that live there. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I could teach you so many things from just these three verses right here, how they saw themselves. Honestly, the giants were never a problem. As a matter of fact, if you read the Joshua report, as they're crossing in Jericho, the people of Jericho said, our hearts melted. When we heard you were coming, we've heard what God did. So like giants weren't really the problem. So um, we use words like revival. And I think we understand the context of what revival means when we say, I want revival. Right. So revival is kind of our little promised land idea. It's like when we say we want revival, what we're saying is, God, we want what we have prayed for for years. We want souls. We want harvest. We want Good, powerful, promised land victory. Okay? Everybody stay with me right here. I'm going to take you somewhere tonight. So I want to tell you that there are no shortcuts to the promised land. That's what I'm going to teach you tonight. There are no shortcuts to the promised land. So at the center of this story tonight that I read to you, we come to the section... Um, on the spies and their subsequent punishment that they received 
uh, in the wilderness generation. The word of God records to us in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter exactly how the spies were chosen. It said, send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers. Shall you send a man? Okay, everybody say, send a man. Everyone a ruler among them, so not just any man from any tribe, but every tribe and a ruler of that tribe. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men who were what? They were heads. They were leaders. These were not average Joes that were being sent. So the central question that arises is, How do people who, as the scripture records, and this is vitally important that you get this, the scripture records that these men were at God's bidding and they were leaders of the children of Israel, 13 and 3. They were leaders, they were heads of the children of Israel. How in the world is it that they can stand up and say, Chosen by God, leaders in Israel, we don't want to go into the land of Israel. Think about this. The hand of God is on his people. They're 40 years in. And they come to the precipice, the edge. Get every every big word you can think of. They're standing at the edge of promise. And 12 of them go in. 10 come out and say, can't do it. How? They were selected by God through Moses. Leaders. Now, whether or not leader in this context means that they were military generals or not, that fact remains to be seen. But it does make us wonder whether or not there is military involvement because they speak on the basis of military assessment in the reality of what they saw because they look at the size of the men and they say they are greater than us. So it makes you believe that these are militant men that are selected by God as leaders and when they look At the men in the promised land, they say they're too big for us. You mean they're too big for us? Right now, we're looking at the land. Caleb and Joshua come out with grapes, and ten of them come out talking about war. Now, this is interesting because the Lord gave a promise that before they ever got to the land of Israel, that the angel of the Lord was there waiting on them. He was going to fight for them. He was going to fight their battles for them. He was going to take care of them. But these men are absolutely sold on the fact that for them to possess the promise, they cannot do it because these men are too great. Now listen, I'm going to tell you all something that's powerful about this. One of the things that cannot be ignored about God's discontent with these men, and Caleb and Joshua's discontent with these men, is they were not discontented with them because they lied. They didn't lie. As a matter of fact, the point must be, uh, we must uh, have it pointed out to us, they did not lie. As a matter of fact, they told the truth. They saw big things. They told the truth, yet your Bible says that they were uprooted from the earth. Think about this. I don't want this to bore you because I'm going to take you somewhere in just a second. Caleb's argument against them in Numbers uh, 13 and 30 and 31, are, is, is not that they were lying. 
Caleb's argument was not that they were lying. It was that he merely disagreed with their conclusion in verse 31. Caleb hears their conclusion in verse 31. They said, we can't go in. But in verse 30, Caleb declares, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's frustration is not that they're lying. It's that he disagrees with them. They said, we can't do it. Caleb said, we got this. So we can see plainly. It was not for speaking falsely that they were punished. Hence the question. If the spies told the truth, why did God uproot them from the earth? Man, I can't wait to take y'all where we're going tonight. Why in the world did they pay a consequence if they weren't lying? 13 and 32 is where we're going to focus right now. I guess one approach that we could take to understanding the context of this scripture is that the dispute here is by far greater than just a basic idea of the fear of the Canaanites or a question of military strategy of whether or not they could overtake them. But I think it may be something that's easily overlooked everybody doing okay I suppose the key sentence in the narrative is this one it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof somebody say it consumes people it is a land that consumes its inhabitants and it is with this sentence that they literally raised the fundamental issue it is a land that consumes its inhabitants so we can't go and the value of their promise is based on their opinion of whether they can or cannot go and fundamentally the idea is conveyed by them It is not worth what it's going to cost us to go in and take the land. Oh, my. I'm trying to teach to you tonight. Don't fall asleep on me, whatever you do, because I'm taking you somewhere right here. It is a land that consumes the inhabitants, and so we cannot go. Somebody say no. Now, I hope this will help somebody here tonight. I'm going to tell you what I believe they were dealing with. And please do not be offended by this statement that I'm about to make. But you listen to what I'm telling you, and I'm going to prove by Scripture. I believe this is a fact. It was not about giants at all. It was not about the greatness of the armies at all. I believe it was a mentality in the minds of the children of Israel They had become a welfare mentality. Oh God, please don't leave me right here. Life in the wilderness had become a mindset for the children of God. And I really want to convey this to you tonight. It created a welfare type mentality 
in their world when every morning they opened up their tent flap and there was a provision for them of manna morning and evening. And they looked up in the cloud and there was that beautiful cloud there, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Somebody tell me right now if there's anything that you have ever found in the scripture that the children of Israel needed at all while they were in the wilderness. Anybody? The Bible said their clothes stayed with them. Their shoes stayed with them. They were fed every single day. When it came to Sabbath day, they were fed a double amount. On that sixth day, they were told all week, don't be selfish. I'll provide for you tomorrow. I'll take care of you. Don't, don't, don't you get selfish. It'll spoil except for in the law of God on the Sabbath. So understand me when I tell you this. It was almost like they received a monthly stipend to sit in the wilderness and study Torah all day, every day. Oh my. I think I just hit that American dream on the chin. The American dream is changing. You don't have to work for it anymore. The other morning, Bishop and I and uh, Josh, my cousin, we were headed to meet some guys for some fellowship up north. Pulled through a drive-thru to get some breakfast, and it was close. There was nobody there because nobody came to work. It's a mindset. It just I mean, why in the world, when you're going to sit at home and get paid, why not just... Sit at home and get paid. And it's frustrating. So, I'm going to lay some groundwork for you here. They received manna morning and evening. They were provided all their basic worldly needs. If you can find one thing they needed, I'll give you a high five. Moses and Aaron, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the princes, the chiefs, they had everything that they required and thus they were able to sit back and relax under the presence of the glory cloud and study the word of God and get it in their hearts and in their spirits. And so in this respect, for them to move into a land that consumes its inhabitants is not a vertical move. And I'm going to help you with this right here. It's a downward step. Because when one lives in the wilderness, one can have a fully complete spiritual life. But when you enter the land of promise, you have now come in contact with the thought that you've never had before. Your spirituality is in danger. You're not going to live anymore in a wilderness where the only people that you talk to talk like you talk. And they believe what you believe. And they see the same thing you see. And they hear the same voice you. They've seen all the experiences. They saw the glory cloud over Sinai. They saw the law come. Every bit of this. You're not going to walk across the, the, the pathway there to another tent and find somebody that believes something different than you believe. They've lived the same experience. And so now the danger begins from the outset of their entry into the land. And, and uh, this, is, this is where it's going to get tight for just a minute. As soon as the person, the man, the woman, the family, received their plot of land. Everybody got your seatbelt on? They assumed responsibility for that plot of land. God gave them the land, but now they have an issue. 
when you receive the land, you have to work the land. Yes, it's going to be houses you didn't build and vineyards you did not plant. But from here on out, you'd have to understand that the only way for a man in Canaan to have plenty of food is to enslave himself to the land that God gave him. The only way for you to have revival is to enslave yourself to that field of work and say, if we're going to have food, it's going to be because I work at it. Mm. I'm kind of thinking if I spit this to the fifth row, some of you may be with me. Proverbs 12 and 11. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. The New Testament says it like this, if a man don't work, then he don't eat. The wise man in the Proverbs said that the man that tills his land has plenty of bread. But the farmer that's now out of the wilderness isn't waiting on manna every morning. He's waking up every morning and instead of receiving manna, he's going out to the field and hooking up a plow of oxen. And where he was free to relax and study, now we've got an issue. It's a land that consumes its inhabitants. Oh my, my, I want to help somebody right here. A farmer has to constantly pay attention to his soil. He cannot put the work off until next day, next week, next month. Why? Because he's bound to seasons and times. One must understand that there is a certain time to plow, and there is a certain time to sow, and there is a certain time to reap, and listen very closely. That can't be manipulated because it's a law. You can't manipulate the law of sowing and reaping because you're only going to reap what you've sown. And no more are you living in the land where man is on the menu. When you possess the promise, it'll cost you something. We all know that farming in Indiana, we know that farming is not a set it and forget it mentality. You don't just look out on the field and say, man, I hope soybeans come in there. You don't look out on the field and say, wouldn't it be beautiful if that was all corn by the 4th of July? It don't happen like that. And you get it on the ground, you say, oh, God, send us somebody, please, that'll get this harvest in. See, I'm preaching. Y'all didn't even know it. We're saying, God, give us an evangelist that'll preach us the kind of revival that's going to give us harvest. Farmer can't take a vacation whenever he wishes. He don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going on vacation. He can't just rest whenever he wishes. There is a law of sowing and reaping that cannot be neglected and it cannot be ignored. If a man is a milk farmer, he doesn't walk out to the cows before he goes to bed at night and say, Hey, you guys mind if I sleep an extra hour in the morning? You know what happens if he puts it off? 
He doesn't take care of his cows. He don't get the milk. And eventually the cows are going to dry up. And the fountain that you've counted on, it's not there anymore. So what do we do when we possess the promise? You walk into the promise and you work. The problem with possessing the promised land is that you assume responsibility for the land. You no longer live in a calm world where you sit in peace and study the word of God under the glory cloud of God. You're now going to a place where your life is constantly occupied with work. It's an entirely different world. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. There's no problem keeping Sabbath in the wilderness. Because you got a double portion on Friday. Oh, I'm fixing to mess with somebody right here. But when you live in the promised land, in order to keep the Sabbath, you have to sacrifice work days. And sometimes you can't afford to give up a day. Anybody know where I'm going yet? How do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all these things be added unto you when you're constantly seeking how to be better for yourself. It wasn't hard to keep the law in the wilderness. Everybody kept the law. It's not hard to get charged up in a revival service when somebody stands up and says, I prophesy to this church that harvest is coming. That's the easy part. Everybody's talking harvest. Everybody's talking the language. Everybody's talking holiness. Everybody's talking the law. But when you get into your workplace and you're the only one in there that looks the way you look and talks the way you talk, it's a whole different land. It's a land that consumes its inhabitants. Means that a person who previously spent their time sitting and learning without the pressure of worldly cares, now has to shoulder the burden of real life. And when you enter the land, you have to integrate into the land, and the land literally consumes you. When they looked at the land and they said, it is a land that consumes its inhabitants, what they were saying is, it's going to cost us something if we're going to possess the land. I heard about houses, I heard about fields that I did not plant, but now I know if I possess the promise, it's expensive. Man, I wish I had a great big old huge crowd out there tonight of about 5,000 apostolics that need to hear what I'm saying right now. These times that we come together under the glory cloud of God, sit in the sanctuary, feel the presence of God, dance and shout. It isn't hard. That's why, uh, you know, some guys get up and browbeat people to death that don't praise and worship. I, I don't mean to sound ugly when I say that. I'm not going to beg anybody to do what they should have been doing easy. I'm just not. I, I'm not going to browbeat people and say, you ought to get up right now. Give, just give him praise. Like, we're going to help you a little bit. We're gonna, but listen, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you're a fool if you don't praise him. Like, the proof's in the pudding, man. These people are happy. They got the joy of the Holy Ghost. God's all over. And if that's not enough to make you want to be here, I don't know what else to do. There's something that you can only get when you come to the house of the Lord. I'm not going to beg people to enjoy the goodness of God. Right? 
you understand what I'm saying? Like, you, you shouldn't have to tell somebody, man, it feels good to worship. Like, when you see these people smiling, you know, like, I, I guess my point is, why in the world would you even drag the horse to water that don't want to drink? This is going to sound selfish. When a fat old horse don't come to the water, that just means you get more. Am I helping anybody right now? Like, I guess the way I feel about this is if you are okay with watching me get blessed, I'm okay with you watching me get blessed. <laughs> That's kind of the way I feel about this full-time internet saints that are out there. If you're okay with just watching us get blessed and just watch. But oh, dear God, when you get in here and the waters are troubled. It's a different kind of feeling when you come to the house of the Lord. And I wouldn't miss it for anything. I thank God for the inspiration. I thank God for the glory. I thank God for the power. I thank God for everything that's going on. Thank God for it. Trying not to preach real hard because I just want to teach this. I got to get this to you. But here it comes. I put you up on the tee now. I am not a soldier of the cross because I know how to dance. I'm not a soldier of the cross because I run the aisles when other people run. I am a recipient of the goodness of God when I get blessed at church. But I got to help you right now. There is a difference in inspiration and activation. Can I pass to you tonight? It is one thing for us to come to the house of the Lord and get inspired about prayer and get inspired about winning the loss and get inspired about missions and get inspired about starting churches and get inspired about building churches in foreign lands. But it's a whole different game when you walk out from under the glory cloud and it's not there because everybody else is gone and you're working your field and you're working your field and you're working your field. Man, I can get a crowd going when I preach stuff about missions and talk about the miracles and share things that the snows have shared and the lanes have shared. People connected, our church have shared. Oh, dear God, you can get people to dance and shout until you're dealing with that somebody that's wrestling with God in the middle of the night. And the Lord said, I've called you to a mission field. No, now you're not just rejoicing about missions. You're having to put on your boots and go on the mission field. Woo! Can, can I say this and y'all not think pastor being ugly? I'm not, I'm not here to rip on someone. Can I just say this? And, and, and y'all know I'm saying this as sweet as I can. Pentecost is spoiled rotten. If it's not our favorite preacher. They don't preach exactly the way we wanted somebody to preach. And we don't sing our favorite three songs. I, I, want you to, I want you to consider some things with me if you would tonight. This is all just for thought provocation. I just want you to think about this with me if you would please. And again, my motive is as pure as it's ever been. I, I, I'm here to help somebody tonight. But I want you to think about what is church for you. When we come together in the house of the Lord, what's it for? Why are we here? Why do you come? 
When you get up on Wednesday and you say, I can't wait to get to church tonight. Why? What is it on Saturday night when you go to bed and you want to come to church on Sunday morning? What is it? Can't wait to see the people. Can't wait to hear the music. Can't wait to sing the songs of Zion. Can't wait to hear so-and-so preach. Can't wait. I just can't wait to get there. Why? And, and, and it's because this subculture of Pentecost has created this world for us. And I'm telling you, I want you here every time the doors are open. I want to pack this place out. But I don't want to just pack it out with people that are wanting to be inspired. I want to pack it out with people that realize God has been so good to you. That you got to go tell somebody about how good God's been to you. It's not just about good music. And we want good music. It's not just about good preaching. And I'll be honest with you. I want I want to preach as good as I can preach. I don't want to just be an average preacher. I want to be a better than average preacher. I want to give myself to the study of the word of God. I want to preach the best that I can preach. But I don't want to preach to a generation that just wants to be inspired. Yeah, Pastor, what's, what, what's got this on your mind? I'll tell you what's got it on my mind. I've been rolling this around now for over a year. I got to think about all the things that I missed last year. Why did I miss conventions? And so I'm fixing to be publicly hard on myself. So I started trying to think of life-changing services that I'd been in at conferences. It's kind of thought-provoking, isn't it? I started thinking about, and please, please, please understand, I'm not throwing off on anybody for any reason. But I've been raising this thing. And, and, and Dr. Lang, I found that a lot of times the reason we go to those kinds of things and, 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 and the, the, the mission of the preaching is to rally people that go back home inspired for a minute and nothing's changed. Man, I hope I'm helping somebody tonight. We'll go spend a couple thousand dollars to go to a conference that teaches nothing but prayer. And then we come home. <laughs> I wish somebody else would help me. I heard my wife preaching good right there. And then we don't pray. And we, we go to conferences, I, I'm not being critical. I've been to them all my life. What is a church growth conference? What's that mean? And we're going to have more of them. I like them. I like church growth conferences. What's that mean? How's the church grow? Do we come together and get everybody excited that one of these days you're going to have harvest? And, th and then what? I'm going to tell you what it does to me, Bishop, when I go places and I hear about that, all I can think of is, i got to get busy. Man, you can go hear Brother Cornwell talk about home Bible studies and dance and shout. Anybody here ever heard Brother Cornwell? I think he's somewhere like 30,000 or something right by now. 30, I don't know. It's, I can tell you it's way beyond 10,000. Home Bible studies that he's personally taught. 
And I go hear him, and I'm like, oh, man, that guy's got it. He's got it. They're having a revival in Kansas. Oh, my God. Like, God, give me that kind of revival. And then you come home, and you're like, where are they at? Am I helping anybody, or am I hurting you tonight? I hope I'm prodding you a little bit. I want to get you uncomfortable just a little bit tonight. I want to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit tonight. I want to help somebody help somebody. I want to help somebody understand that possessing the promise is not just something to shout about. Possessing the promise is not just something to dance about. But the only way, and here it comes. Bishop, get ready. The room's going to be full of helium because I'm getting ready to pop the balloon. Are you ready? Can I pop your balloon tonight? The only way to have revival is W-O-R-K. A couple months ago, a little over a month ago, I guess, whatever. We had our mission conference. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you guys something. I don't please don't take this like a negative way at all. I'm not discouraged at all. I'm telling you, Christian schools are a lot more exciting to preach about than they are to put together. <laughs> Brother Lane came to me one night and he said, Brother, I have this idea. I said, What's your idea? He said, I want to start an online biblical Hebrew academy. I said, great idea. Till the week that he launched the biblical Hebrew academy. And he was like, brother. Am I lying? What what are we going to do? And brother Jordan's like, we're going to sleep two hours. That's what we're going we're to build the website. We're going to get all the infrastructure done. We're going to get it started. Now the Hebrew Biblical, Biblical Hebrew Academy's rocking and rolling. Some of we got students in here tonight that enrolled. I hope you are. It's good. It's amazing. It's amazing what God's doing. Learn the language of the scripture. Incredible. And imagine a one God preacher doing it. Woo! I publicly endorse Biblical Hebrew Academy. And I am not sponsored. This is not a sponsored link. What I'm saying to you is every idea sounds like a good idea until you get to the border of your inheritance. And you realize it's not about dancing and shouting anymore about the harvest. It's about being intentional every day of your life. I hope sometimes I don't embarrass my my girls because we went out to a restaurant the other day and I noticed this woman and I told my wife, I said, I got to go speak to her before we leave. And I started a conversation with her. I'm not going to get into all, but started a conversation. And she said, where do you guys go to church? So I passed with the Pentecostal church on 53rd Street. And so her 
her guy friend, I don't know if it was her husband, boyfriend, whatever, started a conversation with me. And he goes, is that where so-and-so goes? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking. She leans back to my wife and she goes, now listen, when he says Pentecostal. She said, is that Pentecostal like dance, shout, clap, speak in tongues? Is that, is that the kind? My wife said, all the above. She said, I just got here from Florida, and that's the kind of church I used to go to in Florida, and that's what I'm looking for. Why in the world would we stop the dancing, the shouting, the speaking in tongues when that's what people want? But the only way they're going to know about it and the only way they're going to get here is when you tell somebody about the goodness of the Lord. We're not just shouting about the promise anymore. We are possessing. And it is a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh boy, I bet y'all were wishing it was 825 instead of 804. So what? What do we do then? When God has given us the promise, but it is a land that devours its inhabitants. You let it devour you. When you walk into the land, you're going to encounter things you don't understand. God's going to say, keep your mouth shut and walk around that seven days. What? Why don't you just let it fall now? No. You're going to walk in obedience. And when you possess the land, God gave every family a piece of land that was their land. And they had to till that land and work on that land. Can pastor teach to you right now? Can I help somebody to help you understand what we need at FPC? Is a mindset that gets a hold of us. That says if nobody else in this church wins a soul this year. I've got to till my own land. It's a lot cooler when we're carrying rocks down the middle aisle, isn't it? I don't ever want to lose that dynamic in this church. I, I want us to dance and shout and hickamo and huckabuck and buck and faunch, mamaw. That's what she used to say. I don't ever want to lose that. But I want God to bring us to the place that when the shout is over, we put some legs on our faith. Oh, God. What's that mean? Whew, here we go. It means that when the land devours its inhabitants, it means that you have to figure out a way to live your life in balance. They were commanded not to depart from Torah, but to work the land and love Torah. Find a way in your busy life to stay connected to the word of God. Because everything God taught you in the wilderness is over. Now you've got to live what he taught you. 
you worked as a slave to the Egyptians, but now you are a slave to yourself. Am I helping you? And some of us forget what it feels like for some other kind of addiction to rule our lives. I I would never embarrass anybody, but I've had testimonies in this place of people who had addictions, and they would tell me, Pastor, it was the first thing I did when I woke up. First thing I did. When I would wake up in the morning, I had to hit this, drink that, take this, smoke that, every day of my life. Oh, boy. But we go to bed at night now and claim we're addicted to Jesus and haven't prayed an hour. Boy, this is tough right here. We talk about how much we love the Word of God. And we can't even get through the pages of it in 365 days. Are we robots or are we disciples? The land that devours itself never stopped, uh, devours its inhabitants, never stopped devouring. And in the spiritual context, Jesus said he went away to rest. And when he got into the wilderness, guess what met him there? A group of hungry people. And so what did he do? He performed a miracle and he fed the people. I want to tell you all something tonight. I mean this sincerely. I want you to do everything you can to better yourself. I want you to have, can I say it like this in in context? I want you to have the biggest piece of land that you can have. I do. Whether that's starting a business, owning a business, running a business, making big money. Do it. I want you to do the best that you can do. I want you to own the company you used to work for. I want you to do the best that you can. But we cannot expect God to enlarge our capacity when we cannot do anymore what we do in the wilderness. My life is now so consumed with my piece of ground that I don't have time for his word anymore. And so what happens is that we have harvest on our own. But we begin to forsake God and worship the gods of the kings that introduced them to us. We're back in the land. We're possessing. We got, the, we got the land that God gave us. But I want to tell you something. It makes cold-hearted people that don't know how to seek God. How do they seek God after that, Pastor? Well, hope you got your seatbelt on because here it comes. Most of them didn't seek God until drought and famine came. Because their field became their God. Their harvest, what was in it for them, became their God. And then when God would send a drought in the land, they would have to seek him again. I'm saying to this church tonight, I can't believe I'm sweating like this on Wednesday night. I'm I'm saying to this church tonight, I want God to give us fields. I want all you precious people. I want God, if he's going to withhold his coming, I want this church to produce some of the greatest business people that have ever been in Madison County. I want God to give us the kind of people in this church that can turn the economy of this broken system in this city around. I want God to do that. If you own a business, I want God to bless your business. 
want him to bless your business. But you got to use that business to bless God. I want to shout and dance about revival. But I'd rather have revival. I'd rather have harvest. And I'm going to tell you something. Harvest is messy. Harvest is filthy. Harvest is hearing things you didn't want to hear. Harvest is sitting down with people. Please, please, when I say this, please don't misunderstand this. But sometimes when you're winning souls, sometimes you have to ask God the question, will you please send me a normal one? I'm being honest. Thank God for everybody, he said. Please understand me. I'm not being ugly. But I've sat down with people before and started talking to them. About five minutes in, Bishop, I'm like, oh, my God. I didn't know people did stuff like that. You know what? God fixed them, cleaned them up. They're living for God. It is well. But it's dirty work. It's cups of coffee. It's late nights. It's inconveniences. Come on, somebody. We cannot afford, we cannot afford to neglect the things that God has given us because we are drunk on prosperity. Because if we're not careful, he'll strip away our land to make us seek him again. I've been praying this week. I was up late last night pacing the floor. I've been praying this week that God would put something on this church. We're in a great, we're in a great season right now. We have such amazing momentum in the spirit right now. Honestly, I felt a turning at Missions Conference. I really did. I felt something turn and change in this church. We've got great momentum going right now. But I've been asking God that he would begin to trouble one by one the precious people of this church. Because here's kind of what happens. If we are comfortable Christians then the people that we win to the Lord from time to time, as they come in, the Lord brings them like, that's revival. That's the blessing of the Lord. That's somebody that stopped by. But what happens is we reproduce the kind of Christian that we are in them. They watch how we worship. They watch how we pray. They watch how we read. They, they, they watch how we respond. And that's the kind of Christian they become. If they're watching people that were born in the fire, so they're, they're not satisfied with anything but the fire, then they're going to realize when I come to the Lord, i got to get busy. When I cross into the promised land, I've got to teach, I've got to reach, I've got to love, I've got to go. And I've been asking God, and it's a few minutes early tonight, so we're actually going to have a little bit of a prayer meeting here on Wednesday night. And I'm asking God through this simple principle that I've taught to you tonight to rest on this church right now. The spirit of responsibility that is so great that we have had to reconsider for a second time here whether or not we really want what we've asked God for. The weight of revival is so great. It is so powerful that it's going to stretch every one of us. And we have to be in a place of when we're getting stretched that we are rock solid and stable in the word of God. And we don't neglect the, the study of the word of God just because we don't have the cloud over us. Am I making any sense? So tonight I'm going to ask you to stand all over this place. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house right now. And before, I, I want everybody to just kind of close your eyes, bow your head right now.
Before you raise your hands, I want you to think about it. But if God would give us, think about this now. There were 80% of the people that said we can't do it. But the 20% that felt like they could, God gave them the promised land. I'm probably not going to get 100% of the people in this church tonight to buy in because it's expensive. But if you're here tonight and you're willing to say, Lord, stretch me. Open effectual doors of witness for me. God, expand my territory, but I'm going to stay faithful to you. Send me to people that are hungry and I'll teach them the word of God. I may have never taught a Bible study before, Lord, but I'm going to learn how. I'm going to open the word. I'm not just going to teach people that speak my language. I'm going to teach people that know nothing about you. As I'm talking to you right now, if you're hungry for this and you're willing to pay the price, I just want you to begin to lift your hands to the Lord. Nobody's watching you right now. Nobody's paying attention to you. If they're they're looking, that's on them right now. I feel something sovereign moving in here right now. Lord Jesus, we are not satisfied with status quo any longer. We're not satisfied to just come together and have good church. We don't want to just move into the promise and dance and shout about it. Lord, we're going to work the soil. We're going to work the land. We're going to till the land. If you feel led to right now to step out from where you are, just make your way to the front in full surrender. That's perfectly in order right now. You do whatever you feel. But I'm here to tell you tonight, we're not waiting on revival. Revival is here and it's waiting on us. Who's it going to be tonight? Come on, lift that voice. Don't stop because you come forward. God, we're willing to give ourselves. We're willing to pay the price. We're willing to till the soil. We're willing, oh God, to do whatever we've got to do. God, there may be people that live where I live that pastor will never talk to. There may be people in my neighborhood that no other saint in this church will ever connect to, God. But if you'll give me the opportunity, I'll connect with them, Lord. I'll love them. I'll teach somebody the truth. Oh, great God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, who wants it tonight? Oh, I'm going to let it devour my life, God. I'll rearrange my work schedule. I'll take another job. I'll take less pay. I'll do whatever I have to do to let it devour my life. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. God, let it devour this church. Let a love for souls devour this church. Let a hunger for revival devour this church, God. Let it devour us from the time we get up in the morning, Lord. Let it be that the job we have is to enable us to do kingdom work. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm, here. I'm waiting to hear somebody tonight who will cry out in the Holy Ghost. I'm waiting to hear somebody tonight who's willing to lift your voice and intercede. God, we don't just want to recycle saints. We want hungry people that don't know you. Oh. God, we want people who have been steeped in false doctrine and don't know the truth. And they've got hard questions. But when they come to us, we are a workman that needs not be ashamed because our mouth has been filled with the knowledge of the word of God. Oh, God, help us. Come on, let's stop giving God excuses for why we can't. Lord, I live too far from the church. I'm not going to get anybody to come. Listen, 
We'll get a van route running from your, your place, from your town. We'll get a van route running from your community all the way to this church. We'll do whatever we got to do. God, help us. I'm talking about devouring your life. I'm talking about selling that car you love so much, buying you a van and filling it up and bringing people to the house of God. It, it, it devours its inhabitants. Woo. Oh, great God. It's not my personality, Pastor. It's just not me. That's not my personality. Then your land will have no spoil. God, shake us. Shake us. Oh, great God. God, we don't want to just be church dwellers. When you take man off the menu, Lord, it means you've given us our promise. you're willing for God to make your life uncomfortable right now, would you just tell him that, Lord? Do whatever you got to do in me. Whatever you've got to do in me, Lord. Let my testimony, God, be used to connect with somebody that can't share my testimony. Nobody can do it like me, God. Nobody knows what you've done for me like I do. How long have you worked that same job and nobody even knows you're an apostolic Jesus' name, Holy Ghost filled child of God. How long have we been around family members, don't even know what we believe, where we go? Help us, Jesus. God, I'm pleading tonight that we would not be so inward focused. Lord, help us to look on the fields, for they are ripe already unto harvest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there anybody here tonight that feels that call to a deeper place? You feel the Lord calling you to a deeper place of commitment. Lord, you didn't call us to be pew dwellers. Well, let him dig you out tonight of that shell. Afraid for people to know who you are and what you believe. Afraid, ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I knew tonight that I may not fully get out and fully get finished with what I wanted to preach to you, teach to you tonight. But in your Bibles, in Acts the 14th chapter, the scripture said that the apostle came to Lystra. And there he was teaching and preaching. The scripture said in verse 19, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. 
Howbeit, as his disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Listen to this. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. Paul was so devoured by the kingdom that he went to Lystra and he preached. They didn't like what he was preaching, so they stoned him and thought he was dead. His disciples stand around. The picture I get is they prayed life back into him. So he gets up from there and he goes to Derby, goes to another city, and he preaches the truth. But something moved on him that we don't see in that journey. He got to Derby and he preached. And the scripture said when they had taught there, he goes back. What he was in Lystra, the men that came to stone him were from Antioch and Iconium. And he went back, preached in Lystra, preached in Antioch, and preached at Iconium. He preached in the three places. He got stoned in Lystra, and the men that came were from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra to kill him. And he went and preached in all three of those cities. Why? Because it's a land that devours its inhabitants. He wasn't preaching because everybody received it. He was preaching because it was necessary. And we're at a place right now where when we first face resistance, we run from the resistance and say, no, I won't preach anymore. Paul said, you can't kill me dead enough that if I come back with just a little bit of life in me that I'm not coming back and preaching the same thing you tried to kill me for. The devil needs to know tonight before you leave this house that there is no amount of intimidation that he can bring to you that's going to keep you from opening up your mouth and telling people how good God's been to you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I can't tell you how much I love this church. Thank God for precious people that love the word of the Lord. Does anybody here tonight feel like the Lord just touched your heart? Spoke deeply to you, pulled you, pulled you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Is that all right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I honor your great name. I thank you for these lovely people, God. Thank you for their heart to receive from the word of the Lord. God, you have rocked our boat tonight. You have moved us out of our comfort zone. Lord, we are not just a people of inspiration. We are a people of activation. And we desire, Lord Jesus, that you would open our understanding to what it is you have called us to be and the ground that you have given us. It's a land that devours its inhabitants.